eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's once again game week in Happy Valley. The Nittany Lions will host Illinois on Saturday for a noon kick. It's homecoming at Penn State, so we're happy to get past the bye week. But we're going to do uh, a little bit of that later on in the week. As you see, if you're watching on YouTube, that is not Tyler Donahue beside me. I, of course, am Sean Fitz, uh, if I haven't done the intro already. Uh, Tyler, successful birthing of his uh, daughter, and uh, he's uh, taking a little bit of time. He's He told us he's going to be with us later this week, so we're looking forward to having him. Everybody's great there, daughter, wife, which is obviously the important thing. And Tyler, doing well as a new dad, as you, uh, as you have seen on Twitter. So we will welcome him back later this week. But I'm going to welcome in Mark Brennan. We're going to talk about the first half of Penn State season. Sorry, we're coming to you a day late. Had a little technical difficulties on Monday. Um, but this is uh, this is the episode where we're not going to talk about Sean Clifford. We're not going to do the the thing where we talk about how that impacts the rest of the season. We're just going to look at look back at the five and one start for Penn State, um, why they are five and one, how they've gotten to this point. Um, we will work a little bit of that stuff in because everything we talk about here is, is Clifford centric. Um, but for the most part, it's going to be the, the rehash of the first week. We're going to do grades and MVPs and all that kind of stuff. And we'll come back at you with some more game stuff later this week. We get James Franklin today at 1230. We also get him uh, on Wednesday evening after practice. So should know a little bit more about uh, what, what's going on with the preparation for the Illini. But for now, you know, welcome in Mark. Mark, it's been a, a I'd say a successful first half of the season. Didn't end the way that Penn State fans wanted it to end. But you give Penn State fans five and one uh, back in, in, in late August. I think they would have taken it. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, congratulations to Tyler and Hillary for having a bi-week baby. I mean, that in itself was incredible. A, a, yeah. was successful. But yeah, I, I think, as you said, Sean, anybody who follows Penn State would have thought 5-1 and one would have been good. I think the only disappointment for a Penn State fan is the way that one loss came. I mean, I think if you look back at it, that's clearly a game that Penn State should have won. But big picture-wise, it's hard for fans to do that in the middle of a season to say, hey, you know, is is five what is is five and one acceptable? I think the other important part, though, is when you look at that one loss, that's something they could overcome. It's a team from the other division, and it's a team. Well, you know, at the time we were thinking they might have an opportunity to face them in the Big Ten championship game if things went right. But now, who knows? But I think if you were going to lose a game, that's probably the one. Now you're looking at the back half of this schedule, the gauntlet. Uh, key is to just take care of business. If Penn State is somehow able to take care of business, and that's a big if, everything that, that it wants to play for is still out there. Yeah, and if you look at if you looked at this season, that was always the case. I mean, obviously the Iowa game was was big in the first in the front, and of course Auburn was was always the one in Wisconsin. But you look at 
Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, all three have to play each other. And then you throw Michigan State undefeated right now. All four of those teams have to play all, all the other three over the second half of the season. So it's going to get crazy in the Big Ten. Obviously, we've said it before. I think Ohio State, given where those games are being played and how they've come around uh, after their slow start, probably in, uh, in, in the best spot right now. But, you know, it can go crazy and anything can happen. So looking forward to that. And by the way, Penn State fans, I'm probably uh, really disappointed during that bye week that they had to watch that Iowa game because that's just uh, that's a shame. And uh, I, I don't know that we saw. I know we Tyler and I kind of talked about it before that that David Bell could go crazy and something could happen. I don't think we expected that. So um, Iowa now, of course, uh, has that one loss, and they it says something when you take a look at those polls. And I know polls are fairly meaningless till you get to the college football playoff rankings. But when Penn State lost, they went down to what number seven or eight or something like that. When Iowa lost, they moved straight out of the top 10. So pretty indicative of what the, the nation thought about that Penn State-Iowa game. Yeah, well, and I also think the fact that Michigan jumped over Penn State, I think people were looking at Iowa as clearly not the number two team. I don't know. what we You and I didn't have a chance to talk about it, but I wrote it after the Iowa game. I mean, I didn't think either one of those teams was necessarily top five material, and Penn State certainly wasn't without Sean Clifford. But to me, I looked at that Iowa team and, you know, somebody actually voted them number one, uh, you know, af after the Penn State-Iowa game. I just didn't see it because you could see all the flaws and give Iowa all the credit in the world because it was taking advantage of, of the, the turnovers that it was said it was putting itself in position to win and then making plays when it needed to make plays. That's very difficult to do for an entire season when you have an offense that just isn't that good. Yeah, and it was not not really sustainable. And then, they, yeah. you know, Purdue did not put the ball in their hands. And, you know, Penn State even put the ball in their hands and, and Iowa still didn't have a ton of success. But this is not an Iowa podcast, yeah. as, uh, as as we've talked about. But that was uh, it was just a crazy little crazy little weekend, how that worked out. And, you know, that that that's kind of where you got to give Iowa credit is they've been able to take care of business, whether that's been turnovers, no turnovers, whatever. And then. Of course, Penn State's got that blemish on the record because they weren't able to do that. Um, and, and you know, I, I kind of disagree with you about is Penn State a top five team um, with Sean Clifford in there? Because they showed I think they showed early in the Iowa game that they could overcome a lot of those things and still be a very good team. Now, the, the caveat there is who is a top five team in college football? Right, it might yeah. be two of them, two or three of them. Um, so we'll or one. See what happens. Or, yeah. or maybe just one. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, although with Caleb Williams, man, I know we've the, this has been an ongoing theme for the last couple of years. I've been pumping up Caleb Williams as the best quarterback in that class. Uh, unfortunately, I think I nailed that one. So uh, he's he's really really good for Oklahoma. Yeah, but that was fun to watch too. I mean, he, he was fun to watch. Yeah, he's a he's a tremendous talent right there, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Spencer Rattler decides. But again, not an Oklahoma podcast either. So we're coming back around first half of Penn State season. You've got Illinois at noon this week, and then Ohio State. By the way, a seven thirty kick next week at the Shoe, which obviously won't be uh, won't be ideal for for Penn State, depending on Sean Clifford's status. And and we'll get that out of the way right right away. I, I don't think, and I don't think you expect to, to see Sean Clifford this weekend against Illinois. Penn State, a big favorite. Um, you, you don't want to play like this because it's almost like a video game approach, but no real reason to play Sean Clifford this weekend. You don't want to eat those words eventually either. Um, but you give Taquan Roberson a chance to play. Maybe you get Christian Veyer in there. Um, so I think looking at the second half of the season, there's no, no real reason to trot Clifford out there. And, and you got to hope that maybe he makes enough progress where you see him at Columbus. Yeah, well, I also think you, you, you touched on it, Sean, that I, you absolutely need to get those backup quarterbacks work. Uh, and, and again, no disrespect meant toward Illinois, 
but we've seen how important it is to have a, 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 a second team quarterback who is at least capable of going in there and and call get, getting the ball snapped. Uh, and that wasn't the case at, at Iowa. Now, obviously, some extenuating circumstances there, great crowd. But yeah, I think one of those guys, uh, if Sean Clifford isn't going to play, which we kind of expect, uh, I think one of one or both of those guys absolutely need to get a ton of snaps this week. Yeah, you're going to hope there's a middle ground with Roberson from what you saw at Iowa and somewhere much better than yeah. that. So, I mean, it, obviously not a great not a great situation for him to walk into. Um, you know, he he's got to be better undoubtedly, but uh it's a tough one to step into. No no first team reps, none of that film preparation or things things like that. So, you're hopeful if you're Penn State that getting him in a more familiar setting, getting him in Beaver Stadium against a a worse team Maybe you get a maybe you get a different result there, but that's uh, that's all about uh, looking back at that Iowa game and thinking what if uh, we're going to look back this first season and think uh, what what did happen and we'll start with uh, team MVPs. Uh, I know you had your grades up on Lions twenty four seven with Final State last week. Um, I, I think the MVP obviously on the offensive side of the ball has to be Clifford based off of being that valuable. Uh, right. What you saw there defensively, I think it's probably a little bit of a different story. I mean, there's, there's guys that can make it uh, a case and Penn state's defense has been lights out for the most part this year. Um, I'm going to go with the transfer from temple Arnold Epicady. Uh, he's been phenomenal this year. Um, we expected him to be good. I don't think we expected him to be this good. Leading the team, nine and a half tackles for loss. He's got a bunch of sacks. He's he's really been in the backfield and been active. Uh, has been good against the run as well. And I think that's probably um, a, a result of that whole defensive line. PJ Mustafer, who is of course out for the season now, Derek Tangelo, um, you know, really working off each other and playing a little bit more complimentary than they were last year. So I'm going to go with Ebikiti. I know you have some some differing opinions, uh, even though you probably would give it a, a hat tip to to AK because he's been fantastic. But there's a bunch of guys in that defense could really make an argument for for being the most valuable player. Yeah, my pick, he was number two for me. My pick was uh, was PJ Mustafer. And, and listen, you look at the stats and they don't blow you away. But I think if you watch the games, which everybody does, and you saw the havoc that he was kind of wreaking on opposing offensive linemen, you know, demanding double teams, you know, being a team leader, doing all those things to draw attention, to free things up, to allow other guys, you know, not just AK, but the linebackers, uh, and to a lesser extent, you know, the guys back in the secondary. So I just thought he was playing at such a dominating level. Uh, now, the one thing I will say is, you know, give that D-line credit that when he went down, you didn't see what happened over on offense when Clifford went down. I mean, uh, Ellie stepped in and actually did, I thought, a, a pretty good job uh, in, in that in that Iowa game. But I just thought P.J. was that good. And then, I mean, you look at Brisker's numbers, and my goodness, I mean, if – I, yeah, I wrote it. I don't know that they've ever had a better safety tandem. And I've been following this team for a long time. Uh, but that starts with Brisker. You know, Brown's obviously playing really well. But you look at what Brisker's doing in terms of coverage, in terms of run support. I think, you know, those three guys, to me, that's one, two, three. You could probably throw them up in, in any in any order with, with Mustafer, AK, and Brisker. But I went with Musker, Mustafer just because I thought a lot of what they did started with him there in the middle. Yeah, if you look at the the stats, and he's all over the place. He got twenty five tackles, three and a half tackles for loss for a safety, pretty good. Yeah. Three pass breakups, two picks, and he's also got a QB hurry. So he's been all over the field for Penn State. Jair Brown's got the three picks, um, but you're kind of curious how much 
um, when when offensive coordinators are game planning, how much they're game planning around Brisker and how much that's that's benefiting Brown. Not to say that Brown hasn't had a great year. Um, he's got those three picks, three pass breakups, nineteen tackles. So um, they they've both been, I think probably above expectations for Brown and the rare hitting expectations for a guy that you thought could be an all big 10, potentially all American level there in Brisker. So those guys are in there, but it, it's so funny because you look at the offense and obviously no brainer on Sean Clifford as the MVP, but defensively you got those three guys. You think Jesse Lucetta has been in a 27 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss. Uh, he's been amazing as a guy that we didn't know what he was coming into the season. Um, and, and then you look at, the guy that's leading the team in tackles, Ellis Brooks, 44 tackles, seven more than Brandon Smith. Um, and you just he's not even in the conversation. And that's uh, that's really indicative of the play, I think, from from back, from front to back there of Penn State's defensive uh, defensive uh, unit. Um, I will say this. I, I kind of wonder what it's going to look like for Ellis Brooks over the second half of the year. Um, you've got Ohio State. You've got Michigan's going to run right at them, obviously. Uh, Michigan State as well, who's got a really good running game. And without Mustafa in front of him, you have questions about uh, where Ellis Brooks' ceiling is and how much or how much how much of an impact uh, PJ Mustafa had on his play in the first half of the season. I, but I do like Sean what he did in the first half. I mean, uh, I thought he would be better than he was last year, but I didn't expect him to be that much better. Uh, just making the thing I loved was the consistency, and that's what I think you're, you're missing with with Brandon Smith. I know it drives the fans crazy on the message boards during games where he makes one gigantic hit, you know, on the sideline, and then he's missing a run fit you know, the, the, the next play, whereas Ellis Brooks seems to be the guy who's doing it play in and play out. Can he continue to do that without Mustafer? I don't know, but I think the fact that he's shown the consistency to this point, to me, he's been kind of the unsung hero player over on that defense, a defense that's played exceptionally well. You know, again, sometimes you don't realize it until you, you, you sit down and look at all the numbers, but uh, I think he's been kind of the straw that stirs the drink, the Mr. Consistency in that defense. You kind of expected him coming into the season to just have to be the glue that holds them together right there, just between yeah. Brooke or excuse me, between Smith and between Curtis Jacobs, who's played really well the last couple of weeks and is really coming on um, in his own as, a, as that Sam linebacker. But um, you just didn't expect maybe the numbers to pile up for for Brooks. You thought maybe you take him off the off the field a little bit more than they have. Um, but he's been out there. He's been consistent. He's got a sack this year as well. Um, I think that was the uh, the one where he forced the. Uh, uh, what was it, the throwaway in the Wisconsin game where he was was really good. But um, yeah, I think we've kind of been waiting for him to fall off and he hasn't. I think that's a testament to how Ellis Brooks has played, mentioned Lucetta. And and in that in that same sort of aspect of we're not mentioning his name, but he's having a really good season. Joey Porter Jr. is phenomenal. Just uh, I know the the secondary, you could say they haven't been tested, but you can also say they've been incredible. Joey Porter Jr., has had a really, really good year just because nobody's throwing at him. Yeah, well, that's the odd thing is that Tariq Castro-Fields is actually having a good year for him com compared to how he played the last couple of years when he was banged up and obviously barely played uh, last year. But you look at that secondary and it's like, who's the weak link in that secondary? And I don't know that there necessarily is one because I don't want to say that about Tariq Castro-Fields because I think he's playing well and I, I think he's doing what he needed to do. You know, he's showing NFL scouts that he could probably play at that level. But I think you're looking at three unbelievable players in that secondary. And then you're looking at Castro Fields. And then you're looking at some guys who are playing well in supporting roles. I mean, 
Daquan Hardy has struggled a bit in coverage. I know he has the one pick, but it looked like in the Iowa game they were picking on him a little bit. But, boy, when he gets up near the line of scrimmage, you know, making tackles, tackles for losses, uh, sacks, I like what Sutherland's done. You know, he was a real liability in pass coverage for them last year. But he's come in when, when guys have either been nicked up or needed a rest, and there's not been a gigantic drop-off. And, again, maybe that's faint praise, but I think you need those types of players. You mentioned Jesse Lucetta. It's not just that he's playing well. It's that he's helping him in spots where they really need help. When Ellis Brooks can't play for a half at Mike, there's Jesse Lucetta. When they need help at defensive end, there's Jesse Lucetta. So those, I think all those things play into a, an overall good defense. It's not just the top-of-the-line players. It's you have players everywhere playing well, and you have guys who are filling support roles and doing a really nice job. Yeah, I think it's the those preconceived notions, and obviously it's just a six-game sample size, so there's a half season to go. But it's it's expectations versus reality, and guys like Lucetta have been, you know, really good based on what we've seen before out of him. Uh, same you could say with Daquan Hardy as well in in, in the nickel corner role. So there's just. Uh, it's funny you mentioned what you said about Tariq Castro Fields because you look at that defense against Iowa and just put in in, in such a terrible, terrible spot time and time again. So something was going to give. So people were down on Castro Fields after that game. And that's kind of like the 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 crack in the armor type thing. It, it, it wasn't the reason that they lost, but it was something that you could hang on to coming out of that game to to kind of complain about uh, just because right. you're looking for something because you don't want to take the low hanging fruit of the, the quarterbacks. But that's that's kind of how that's worked. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, we'll go from MVPs here, and actually we won't go from MVPs here because the MVP potentially for overall on this team comes from the special teams, and Jordan Stout has been amazing, just absolutely incredible. He's been an offensive weapon, a defensive weapon. Um, you know, there's some really, really, really good punters in the Big Ten this year. So it's going to be an interesting call for um, uh, for the Big Ten or the All-American Awards, the Ray Guy Award or whatever, for which Big Ten punter you're going to get. But Jordan Stout's been as good as any of them. 48.8 yards per punt, um, just three touchbacks. Uh, he's been basically been unreturnable for the most part. Um, and then you turn around, he's got he's 8 of 13, or excuse me, 8 of 11 as a field goal kicker as well. So um, really can't say enough about Jordan Stout. Uh, he's just been phenomenal this year. Uh, he's eliminated the return game. I mean, that's and I think his. I don't have the stats up in front of me, Sean, but I think his net is like forty-five yards on punts. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, really, you looked at what the Iowa punter did, and that was just in, an incredible performance. In a lot of ways, Stout helped help, helped keep Penn State kind of in that game from a special teams kind of field position. That was fun. I mean, how often do you say, "Look at that battle between the two punters." But it was actually true in that game. Usually it's a, a terrible game, and that wasn't necessarily the greatest game to watch. But when you have the punters going back and forth operating at that level, uh, you know, we had Goon on our TV show, and, and he mentioned uh, John Bruno against Miami. And that's the sort of effort that uh, that Stout had against Iowa. And, and I think they're going to need him to keep performing at that level as the season goes along. Uh, I know we're looking back, not necessarily forward, but you you wonder about the offense if certain people aren't available. I think they're going to need him to start to to keep performing at that level. Sixty four combined kickoffs and punts from Jordan Stout this year. Just six of them returned, all of them for punts, uh, all of them punts just for twenty two yards. So that's really remarkable the way that he's been able to be a web a special teams weapon and in really just doing it all. 
uh, for Penn State. Uh, we'll move on to the quarterbacks here. We're going to talk uh, midseason grades. You did our midseason grades uh, up on the site. Um, but the, the quarterbacks is where you start with everything now. And it's really funny that I talked earlier about preconceived no- notions and expectation versus reality. I had this as a nine win team because solely because of Sean Clifford and the way that he um, played last year. And then, uh, you know, the latter half of 2019. Um, so how do you grade the quarterback room? How do you grade Mike Yurcich? How do you grade uh, the, what Clifford was able to do before he got hurt versus what happened to Penn state after he got hurt? It's really tough um, to sort of throw out one grade for the quarterbacks, but it's uh, it, it's kind of been uh, remarkable to see on one hand and then very disappointing to see on the other. Yeah, I mean, I gave the quarterbacks a B overall, and this was my rationale because, I mean, Clifford, to me, clearly performed at an A, A-minus uh, level uh, before he got banged up. But for the room in general, and I also thought it was funny that there were people on the site saying, well, I'll give Clifford an A and I'll give Roberson. You, you, you can't do that. You're, you're grading as a position. And I think that the, the issue that dropped it down a letter grade is clearly you need to have a capable backup able to go in there and, again, just effectively call plays. And, and that didn't happen. So when that doesn't happen, I think the, that's kind of on the whole room. And it's not mm-hmm. necessarily on Clifford, but it's on Yursich. It's on the backup quarterback. So, you know, I gave him a B, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. But I would not have guessed, you know, to, to your point, going into the season – you know, I expected Clifford to be better. Did I expect him to be that much better? I, I didn't. I mean, he played extremely well, and I think, uh, you know, we learned firsthand how important he was to that offense. He just he really cut down to turnovers prior to the couple two against the, the couple against Iowa, and they were able to overcome those. And that was the other thing I liked in that in that game, Sean. A couple turnovers in that game, but it did not get him, or it did not get the team necessarily down the way it impacted last year. So I think. The way he carried himself, all those things led to an A for Clifford. But overall, the room, I can't, I don't think you can give him an A. I think it's got to be a B. I, I had him as a B plus. I went through and, and gave some letter grades before you actually wrote that. Um, and and I went with a B, B plus just because the job that Mike Yurcich has done with Sean Clifford uh, cannot be understated. I mean, that, that guy, I, I don't want to say he was broken, but you, you watched last year, any bit of last year, and you're just thinking this guy cannot be fixed. And, you know, there's been some flaws. There have been some some things that you could, you know, sort of pick at. But as old, this this is a guy that started 0 and 5 last year. And uh, well, I guess he didn't start the Iowa game last year, but I mean, didn't look like he could be a functioning quarterback. And he's turned into a guy that was playing in an all Big Ten level before he got hurt. So hopefully he's uh ho- hopefully we get a chance over the second half of the season to grade this team as uh, or grade this room as yeah. just Sean Clifford once again. Um, uh, but we we will see what what remains with that uh from, from that aspect moving on I, I don't think there's any way of getting around it the running back room has been a letdown and that's uh disappointing when you look at the numbers when you look at just the eye test um all these talented running backs that were were built up in the offseason just haven't been there and that you know Noah Kane you could say that they've le- probably leaned on him a little bit too much based on what he's shown obviously I don't know if it's a health thing, I don't know if it's a if it's a confidence thing or just a comfort level thing, but hasn't not been himself. Um, you could kind of say the same about Kevon Lee in that he hasn't been himself and that maybe he's been trying to 
to be a little bit more than he is. Maybe he's been trying to be a different different running back, and and so far you just you haven't gotten that going, and that's really been dif- difficult to watch uh, from a team that you think should be able to run the ball that that was able to run the ball. If there was nothing else that they did in that 2020 season, especially in the latter half, it was run the football. So uh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting juxtaposition from from what we saw in the preseason to um, what we've seen in the first half of the season. So you got to be down in what the C minuses area, uh, maybe D plus because no matter who they've put in there. And I know that the, the offensive line is something we'll get to, but no matter who they've put into in there, there's really not a good argument for them playing really good football. Yeah, I was at C minus, and I, you know, I think the thing that kind of jumped out to me is a couple of weeks ago, James Franklin clearly stated that he would prefer to be a one running back guy, uh, or maybe a couple running backs. And, you know, as it is, they're at four, and you know that's just telling you that nobody has stepped up and and, and grabbed that job. I, if you know, you've got Kane, four running backs, you've got none. Is that what you're right, saying? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it, but you know, Noah Kane, he, he just hasn't looked the same, right? Uh, and, and three maybe, yards per three yards per carry for Noah Kane. That's not anywhere what we that we ever thought we would say. Just right. uh, aside from maybe expecting him to be the plotting guy as a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Now knowing this staff, you know, we could be critical, but I know that they err on the side of caution when guys are bumped up and he wouldn't be playing unless they thought he was, he was okay. Uh, but something just seemed to be lingering and maybe they're hoping that by playing him, it kind of knocks the, the, the rust off a, a little bit. As for Kevon Lee, I mean, a, a couple fumble issues early and then also early in the year, not putting his head down and just getting those tough yards, you know, a 235, 240, 40 pound back trying to dance around in the backfield just doesn't it, it isn't cutting it's it. not and him it's not yeah him. yeah yeah and then you end up starting Devin Ford uh, against Iowa so it just looks as you said you know you have four running backs and it's it's you you don't have any so I wonder if at some point you know I don't I'm not sure what your thoughts are Sean but do you at least go into a game thinking one running back is going to kind of be the guy in the game or even narrow it down to two Maybe you don't do it for the whole season, but see if somebody's ready to step up. Now, I guess the difficult part is if you do that against Iowa or against Illinois, it's probably going to be different than (laughs) if you do it against Ohio State. So I'm not sure what to do. That's why the coaches get paid the big bucks. But that's I don't think anybody expected this room to be to perform at the level that it's performed. And you know when coaches go on the road in in big situations like Ohio State, they'd like to shrink those rotations down. Of course, John Lovett left the Iowa game Still don't know what happened with him. Uh, Devin Ford left the Iowa game with an injury as well. Um, so maybe you are forced to go uh, with Noah Kane and Kevon Lee, and maybe you maybe throw Kaziah Holmes out there if if you have to. But uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, a tough. I mean, you got to get going at some point, you would think. But you also thought that going into the Villanova game, and you know, in the end of game, they had some success running the football. It's just it hasn't carried over. You haven't been able to sustain that, and that's been a problem for this room. And that's why you look back and you think it's a it, it's a big letdown this year. Yeah, and I, I, again, I, I don't think anybody saw this coming, given what we saw from those running backs. And uh, I, I I just wonder, you know, at what point do you have to decide on one or two guys and kind of go from there? And that's what makes it a little bit harder to swallow is you've seen Kane have success. You've seen Kevon Lee in the second half of last year be the guy that I think a lot of Penn State fans want in the 230-pound guy that's going to run you over, and he just hasn't been that. So um, you haven't seen as much of Lovett. You haven't seen as much as Ford, but you want those or you, you want those guys to play up to what you've seen in the past, and, and so far it hasn't happened. Um, the wideouts, moving on, uh, that's an interesting one because we talk about the, the – 
the expectations for quarterback and running back, and they've been different than than what we thought the preseason would bring for those guys. The wideouts have kind of been right on. It's it's been top heavy. It's been those first three guys, maybe a little bit of Cam Sullivan Brown as, as um, you know as a fourth guy, but. Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson have been pretty well as advertised. Keandre Lambert-Smith, I think a little bit better than advertised um, as a third option. So uh, I hate to pat ourselves on the back here, but just kind of a spot on expectation level set for this this receiver group. Yeah, I gave a B plus. I mean, I think Dotson's performing at an A level. You know, even in the Iowa game, when it seemed like he struggled, he still had eight catches. So he was still out there kind of doing what, what he's doing. You know, what I would look for as the season goes along and I know that teams are defending them, trying to prevent the long ball because Franklin talks so much about how important explosive plays are. But at some point, I wonder if they can't do a little bit better job of kind of taking the top off of, with some of those with some of those deep shots. But oh, that's nitpicking. Uh, I also think it would be nice if you get some more consistent play from the guys a little bit lower on the depth chart. Uh, you know, we just really have not seen that. As you know, if there are three guys who are playing at a two guys playing at a very high level, uh, one guy playing really well in Lambert Smith. And I just think after that, the drop off is so significant and there's some talent there. Uh, I think, you know, it's just crying out for somebody to step up and, and make some plays. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out the second half of the season. You thought by now maybe Marquise Wilson might be able to guy, uh, be a guy that steps up. Cam Sullivan-Brown, I think you know what you're getting there. Uh, of course, Daniel George hasn't been involved in that at all. So um, it, it's interesting because we we graded the quarterback room based on the entire quarterback room. We're grading the, the receivers for the most part based on those first three. But if those first three stay healthy, right. Really matter how great that room is from you know from four to seven or or what have you. Keandre Lambert Smith, by the way, three catches a game, forty seven and a half yards per game. You'll certainly take that from from your number three option. So, um, and I will say this: I've been stumping on Jahan Dotson about the best receiver in the Big Ten. David Bell is the best receiver in the Big Ten right now, and I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of splitting hairs when you get to the top top. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how those all Big Ten teams work out with Bell, with those Ohio State receivers, with Dotson. Um, you know, you're just all over the place, and I'm sure I missed a couple of good ones as well. But that receiver room can't really complain. Uh, you, you'd like to see a few more deep shots, uh, you know, made, and that's a that's a quarterback and a receiver uh, problem right there. But um, at the, I think they've done the most with what they've been able to to get out of those quarterbacks. Yeah, and mentioning Bell, that's one of the good things about a bye week for the media is that we could actually watch some other games and, and, and gain a little bit of perspective. But what he's doing on an offense that doesn't have nearly the overall talent was just, you know, to, to watch what he was able to do was just incredible. But I still and, put Dotson up yeah. there. I mean, he's, 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 he's been terrific this year. But, yeah, I think if you had to go one-two in the Big Ten, it would probably be Bell-Dotson. Yeah, and – Penn State led for Bell at one point. I think Steve had a uh, crystal ball pick in for him. So that's that's one that stings when you take when you take a look at what Penn State's been able to build at receiver, and you you like what they trot out there in those three guys. But uh, you know that's that's the difference between where Penn State is and where Penn State could be in terms of being a playoff contender. Uh, we've already talked about Caleb. Williams, you know the, those guys that Penn State was seemingly in the mix for and just uh, wasn't able to close for for whatever reason and. You know, David Bell wanted to to, to stay home and be a, a big fish, and he's doing a heck of a job, and it's going to pay off for him being a high draft pick. So, see what happens there. The tight ends kind of uh, reflecting in the running backs. I don't think they've been 
as much of a letdown, but given all that we heard in the offseason about Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, I think we're kind of soured on on how those tight ends uh, are perceived based on the Iowa game and Strange, uh, you know, dropping a ball could argue dropped uh, a couple of balls um, that really would have helped out Roberson. Um, I think they've been up and down, but I expect them more as blockers. And I think James Franklin has said the same. Yeah, I mean, well, number one, I don't think their production is what any of us thought in terms of catching passes. But when James Franklin goes out of his way to say at a press conference that the tight end blocking has been part of the run running game issues, he, he just doesn't do that for the heck of it. I mean, he is clearly sending a message. And, you know, you look at both of those guys. I thought they both did well, uh, Strange and Johnson, in that regard last season. Now, you know, I'm not saying they were the second coming of Kyle Brady, but they were, I thought they both for their, for their age, uh, I thought they did well. So I, I was surprised or I've been surprised that they haven't been better in that regard, because that's the one thing, you know, we've learned through the years that even if you're, even if things aren't clicking for the tight ends in terms of catching the ball, if you're able to be a, a, a get it done blocking, you can still be a very effective tight end. So I would look for them to step it up significantly because I think both of those guys have all the talent. I mean, they have the size, they have the athletic ability, they have the strength. I think it's there. I think this bye week came at a very good time for them to maybe take a step back, you know, get with Ty Howell, reset, and then move forward. Yeah, Theo Johnson, just five catches, but 111 yards. He leads the team in average yards per catch um, with 22. So, you know, the, the, the talent's there. Strange has got to be a guy that finishes plays, and uh, and that's not something we saw. Um, you know, I, I've said it before. Some of those young guys, especially last year, Johnson was a freshman. Strange was a redshirt freshman. There's a bit of naivety there um, that, that helps you as a player, especially – uh, playing behind a guy like Pat Fryermuth, who obviously is a, a pro prospect and a, a really, really good player, um, then you, you kind of work yourself out of it. And now that there's a little bit more expe expectations lumped on you, you get a little bit of that pressure and it kind of happens and, and it could have in, impact your play. Not tremendously down on the tight ends by any stretch, but preconceived notions, expectation versus reality kind of expected a little more at this point uh the offensive line obviously the expectations always always high for the offensive line as i always say most offensive lines in college football are not good and and you're seeing that uh around the conference you're seeing that uh at penn state this year very up and down pass blocking has been absolutely incredible at times i mean there's times when you're just kind of timing sean clifford's uh you know drops with a sundial back there the run blocking has been the challenge and 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 really you're trying to figure out um still figuring out if Eric Wilson can get it done, still figuring out that interior. If, if Mike Miranda is, is he's been in over his head a couple of times um, this season. So I think it's really uh, interesting to see how this is going to fit because you're going to be, if you're going to try and beat Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, you're, those are games that you're going to have to at least have some sort of running game um, be effective in that nature. And, and I don't know if this offensive line has proved that has proven that they are able to take that on their shoulders right now. Yeah, I gave him a C minus. I know you think you you think it's better than that, but you know what? I think part of the reason was because I was doing those grades right after the Iowa game, and the thing that bothered me a little bit was the body language from those offensive linemen when Clifford went out, and Roberson comes in and he's clearly struggling. And I was out there, and you could see guys, you know, throwing their hands up, and it's that is not what you need. So maybe I was a little tough because I'm seeing that and I'm thinking this is now a, a pretty veteran offensive line. Guys have played a lot of football, even the young guys, you know, Caden Wallace, he's played a lot of football at this point. And I think it's on them. I mean, Juice Scruggs is still young, 
but most of these guys have played a ton of football. And when you're in that position, when the season's on the line and your backup quarterback is struggling, I think that's when you need that group to step up and be a bunch of leaders, a bunch of tough guys, and not be throwing your hands up. So everything – that was probably a little too close in the rearview mirror for me when I was doing the grades. You're probably right. The price should be a little bit higher, but that part of it bothered me, obviously. Yeah, no, I, and I get that. You just wonder what's what that ripple effect is with the, from the quarterback there. And uh, you know, James Franklin even mentioned it afterwards that you know, not as vocal, not as not even not even as vocal, just not as naturally loud as Sean Clifford. And that's going to have an impact on everybody. Obviously, the seven was seven or eight false starts eight. against Iowa. That was <laughs> I'm, I'm sure people appreciate that that correction there. Eight false starts. Jeez, um, it is a lot of that's on Roberson. You get frustrated by that, but yeah, you're right. Those guys that have been around for a while. Were Sheed Walker's played a ton of football. Mike Miranda as well. Um, you got to figure that out quicker than that because you, you all of a sudden you'll end up with your back against the wall and you won't be able to do that anymore. And that's uh, that's kind of exactly what happens. So um, tough to judge that one. Um, I think I think probably some recency bias in that grade because I think Walker's actually been pretty good this year. I expected a little bit more out of uh, Caden Wallace on the other side. He's been very up and down. He's he's thrown some really nice blocks and been in some really nice positions. But at, at the other times, he's just he, he looks like he's he's running around kind of lost out there at tackle. We've always had him as a guard. I still think he'd be a heck of a guard. But being as being that roster being what it is, it's going to be tough for them to to cultivate tackles, um, especially when they move in and move out like we expect Rasheed Walker to move on after this season. Um, you know, you, you haven't seen much from the backups. Bryce Effner has been more of a presence than I think we expected. Um, he's actually on a media call this week. So that tells you, um, aside from being an Illinois native, that tells you kind of where they see him uh, when he was out that one game, you had some, some issues there. And is Eric Wilson, the, the, uh, the answer, I think he's a, uh, a good stopgap in there, but I think he's capped on what he's able to do physically. And, you know, just uh, you kind of see some things play out when he's not as big, he's not as strong, and he's uh, he's not as long as some of those other guys. So you have questions. When you put him beside Miranda, you have two of those guys. So that's been uh, it's been kind of tough to, to get. But I'm not as down on the offensive line. Like I said, I kind of grade all offensive lines on a scale because of what they go against on the defensive line now. It's, it's nothing like, and I, I, I'm not trying to slight – like the 94 offense line, which is just amazing. I'm not trying to cite them, but I don't think you're going to see too much of that in college football anymore. Yeah, just because guys don't stay. If they're, if you're a really good offensive lineman, you're not going to be there as a as a fifth year senior the way that whole group was, which was kind of amazing. Yeah, there's a little bit of money waiting around for those guys. Uh, defensive line, uh, you're kind of feeling what you thought. I don't want to say it's going to be a worst case scenario, but you thought that that it could be a problem with depth. Um, you've lost Mustafa obviously for the year. Hakeem Beeman's not available for the year. Adisa Isaac's not available for the year. But all in all, playing pretty well and, and doing more than holding their own up there. We talked in the top about Ebikiti, how how good he's been, how good Mustafer was before the injury. I think Derek Tangelo um, has been a key part of this squad. Um, we, we talk about the culture fit, but I think he's playing pretty good football. And, and that's not a guy that's going to fill up the stat sheet or anything like that. But I think he's been an integral part of that defensive line. You move to the outside. Luquette has been good. Tarburton has been solid and i think that's probably the expectation versus the reality you weren't sure how much you were going to get out of him to begin with so um all in all other than not having a fourth defensive end and you're going to find out if you have a fourth defensive tackle and kaziah Izzard over the second half of the season pretty well for that defensive line so far yeah i gave an a and, and you know again you you look at when mustafer went down i didn't see a gigantic drop off 
uh, in that Iowa game per se. Now, obviously, that's not a great offense that, th- that they were playing against. But I think the fact that everybody kind of rallied and even when Ellie's got bumped up a little bit, you know, they 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 slid some other guys in there. Who would have ever thought that uh, when you look at what they lost from last year's defensive line, you know, a first round draft pick in OA, uh, you know, an, another a Shaka, who was another draft pick and Antonio Shelton, who transferred. Uh, I think clearly uh, Tangelo has been an upgrade over Shelton, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe even they don't play the exact same position. Uh, and then Ebicady has really performed at a better, at a higher level this year, I think, than either Owe or Shaka did last year. That's not to say he's well, maybe he will be a first round draft pick. I don't know, uh, but he's getting it done at this level. I mean, for for those two transfers to come in. Where would this team be without both of those guys coming in and and, and not only playing well but being the fits? You know, we, we've had the oper- the fit within the program, the fits within the program. I'm saying fits. I'm, it's confusing me because you're here, uh, but just everything that that has worked out better than I think anybody could have expected when they when they uh, got commitments from those two guys. Yeah, we expected Evakiti to be an impact player, but as I mean, he was right off the bat, just like from from day one. Uh, just a tremendous football player. He's got nine tackles for loss, four sacks, thirty one tackles, uh, playing his way into being a one and done. He has that that extra year next year, but I don't really see him taking advantage of it because he's playing so well. And Tangelo, that was the thing. Like you, you said, when they when, when when Penn State added, or we said when Penn State added added Tangelo, excuse me. They don't need another defensive tackle. They got 40 of them on scholarship. You can find something there, but you found a starter. And I know it hasn't quite played out because Hakeem Beeman um, is unavailable this season, but you found a starter, a guy that's been solid in the inside and a guy that, um, you know, really can, can do the dirty work and keep Ellis Brooks clean and keep those linebackers, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit more aware. So I think it's been an awesome uh, experience for them. And I, I would expect if you're taking, talking about what Penn state plans to do, in the transfer portal for this uh, this offseason, I'm going to be looking at defensive linemen once again because if you can do that and and now all of a sudden you can sell that you've been able to to turn those guys into maybe draftable prospects, both of them, at least in Ebby Katie's uh, case, you're, you're going to be an appealing spot for a transfer now all of a sudden. Yeah, I think AK, when he goes to the combine and everything else, Penn State's really going to be pumping that up uh, to say, hey, look, as you noted, I mean – what a what a destination! And then John Scott, I mean the the job that he's done, you know, had gigantic shoes to fill, uh, and we couldn't really see it last year. Uh, but the job that he's done, you know, I, I think he's really stepped it up as a position coach, because again, you lose a bunch of talented players from last year's team, and there's not been a significant drop off. And just to be clear, I gave D tackle an A, I gave gave D end a B plus, just because of what you said, not quite the depth there. Uh, that you have one side playing extremely well, the other playing well, but just not quite at an A level to me. You'd like to see Smith Vilbert step up and be that fourth guy as as a yeah. consistent fourth guy. You know, we've gotten accustomed to the years of them going two and two, just like two DNs at a time, two defensive tackles at a time, and and making those rotations there. Um, you can't do that right now, and you know you're you're very thin at that defensive end spot, uh, but. You know, with, with the Luketta switch and the way they've done that has been has been tremendous. I don't think they it, probably in their wildest dreams expected that to, to to be the case. And I agree with you, John Scott's been a, a really good presence there. He he, he and Dion Barnes kind of counterbalance one another. You're asking John Scott 
to be the instructor, to be the guy that can, you know, get them technically where they need to be. And maybe you have Dion Barnes also being, you know, that guy, a technical guy, but also maybe being a little bit more of Sean Spencer, being a guy that uh, was able to motivate and, and, and get out there and, and, and be the, the firecracker out there. So it's been, you know, tremendous on that, uh, on that net, on that note, uh, you'd like to see a little bit more from Vilbert, from Zariah Fisher, if you need to, but that's, those guys are in the future. I will say, if you listen to our interview with Denai Dennis Sutton last week, he mentioned Penn state's ability to develop defensive ends as one of the big things that, that, you know, pushed him over the top. And you, you think that kind of sounds crazy when Penn state was going up against Georgia and Alabama, but they put two in the league last year. They're going to put another one in the league this year. Um, and that's uh, that's a guy that you've certainly coached up under John Scott. So, um, you know, you can talk about John Scott's recruiting and stuff like that, but it's been it's been a positive hire in terms of production on the field. And at the end of the day, that's that's what matters. Um, you know, linebackers, I think I think at Penn State, you're you're always going to be cr- criticized as a linebacker unless you're just a, a knockdown drag out all American type guy, because that's where the expectations are with a lot of Penn State fans. But I think this group's been really good. We talked about Brooks a lot before Smith up and down, but his his ceiling and his good is really good. And Curtis Jacobs has been coming on in the last couple of weeks. I'm really impressed with what he's been able to do with that position because that position is not a typical linebacker position. That's not a spot where you have him filling gaps and in the run game and being a traditional linebacker. This is a guy that plays in a lot of space, and I think he's done it very well. Um, I think we'll see more of him over the second half of the season. Yeah, I wonder, do we see more of him in the star and the dime packages? Because he's been the guy that have been taken off, which you, you noted earlier, I think has been a little bit surprising given his athleticism and his background really playing everywhere on defense. I think the key there, though, Sean, is depth. You know, I mean, it, you could see it in some of these games. And in, in fairness, you know, some of the backup players haven't played a ton of football. But, you know, there have been times when they've gone to that second team or a couple second teamers and the opponent marches right down the field. And then here come the starters, you know, all hustling back in. And I, you know, I wrote it and I wonder, I, I think a guy like Kobe King has a significant upside. And is there a point where you kind of balance where he has he's has that learning curve? which with maybe what his upside is and maybe get him in there and get him some, some more of these second team reps. Uh, Cause I mean, frankly, a guy, you know, t- catcher looked like he was struggling out there in a couple of those games. Uh, again, you know, I, I hate to be negative about it, but I do think sometimes when you have a younger player, there may be, there may come a time when you, you, you kind of shift toward that player and realizing he may have a, a higher upside. Yeah, that's kind of a double-edged sword there because you you know you'd like to keep the year on King, and I think King would like to keep the year on based on on what I've heard. Um, but then, what are you getting out of Catcher and Tyler Elston, and how much of an upgrade would Kobe King be over those two? That's the that's where you run into that because you're not trying to lose an entire year, you know, having him play garbage time reps and things like that. And and you know, Penn State's kind of skated by in the front seven with a with a lack of depth, and you know they they've survived some injuries on the defensive line so far. Um, but that linebacker group is is terribly thin as well. It's kind of like receiver, you know. If uh, you know you don't have those front line guys, what do you have? And that's a that's a very big question mark. So um, I think the grade for that one, I, I I have them in the B's somewhere, just because they haven't been as consistent as you like. And that's going back to the standard is higher for Brandon Smith than than Ellis Brooks. Whether that's fair or not doesn't really matter. Um, but the the standard has been so much higher for Smith, and you'd like to see a little bit more. Of from from a production standpoint, from a splash play standpoint, I know he dropped that potential pick six earlier in the season. Um, so you'd like to see that from your guy that was a five star 
as aside from the guy that Ellis Brooks was a three-star um, and that stuff doesn't matter when they get on the campus, but at the same time, it's going to factor into expectations somehow. Yeah. I gave them a B plus, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Ellis Brooks, I think uh, performing higher than we thought and Smith, not quite to where we, we expected, but I think he's another one of those guys who, you know, maybe the bye week comes at a good time where he can take a step back, take a deep breath. He was at a new position this year. Uh, as James Franklin and Brent Pry have both said, there's a lot to that position. Uh, the guy who was very successful at it most recently, a couple of years ago, played an exceptionally high level. So maybe there is kind of a, a, a different you know, grading system there. But I think overall, the position, when you look at what they've done as a group, I, I'm going B+. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Secondary, I think they've been terrific. Uh, I, I, we talked earlier, kind of nitpicking when you go after Castro Fields because you know he's been a guy that's that's given up a few catches. But you look at the numbers; they're they're they've been tremendous. Um, you know, Iowa uh, Iowa's comeback withstanding. Uh, it's just uh, it's been a really fun secondary to watch. I I'd imagine you've watched more Penn State football than I have, but I'd imagine probably the best secondary you've seen here. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think, you know, the, the uh, that 86 secondary was tremendous, but I don't think it had the pro kind of y- – y- you didn't project those guys out as NFL-type players. They were basically undersized guys who would knock your head off, uh, where this group, you know, they're oversized guys who will knock your head off, and I think have all of them have an opportunity or a bunch of them have an opportunity to play uh, at that next level. Brisker – what a smart decision he made, right? You know, knock Absolutely. on wood that he stays, knock on wood that he stays healthy because I think he's going to make himself a lot of money. But wow, I mean, I just I look at him and project him out to the next level. And then Joey Porter Jr., you know, there have been there have been talk, there was talk for a couple of years is Tariq Castro Fields, maybe that guy who could be the first Penn State cornerback going in the first round. I think that's again, you knock on knock on wood for Joey Porter Jr. to stay healthy, but I think he's got the look of somebody who could potentially be it's amazing to think of all the great players Penn State's had never had a cornerback go in the first round of the NFL draft I I think Joey Porter Jr. may be that you know whenever he decides to go out just because he has that combination of freakish size in terms of his length uh, athletic ability natural feel for the game I mean just all those things it's been so fun to watch as you mentioned that entire secondary it's been yeah, it's been it has been fun. I, you mentioned uh, Brisker's decision to come back, and that's that's an interesting subplot to me because you had Brisker come back with good results. You've had Dotson come back with good results. Penn State over the last couple of years has had some guys that have jumped, whether it was before they were ready or not. I mean, Kevin Givens is still on a on a roster playing a bunch, so you you can guess some of these guys. But Penn State hasn't been able to hold on to those guys in the past. And and this year you've got two guys and then you could probably throw Castro Fields in there, but you've got two guys that have made that decision that were potential, you know, day two draft picks or whatever. That's a really good uh, landing spot to be uh, from a money standpoint. But you wonder how that's going to impact Penn State's uh, decisions moving forward or Penn State players' decisions moving forward. Um, nobody's really a glaring case of that uh, with the COVID year. It's kind of muddy. Like we said, they don't want to have six year guys, but a guy like Jesse Lucchetto who played just on special teams as a freshman, if he steps in and has an opportunity to be a full-time starter, he can really help himself in the draft. And I'm not sure that, that that's going to happen, but that you certainly have that ability to do that. Jaya Brown, I think will be back with the, with the COVID year and, and things like that. But now all of a sudden you, you can, work that narrative that these guys had a decision to make like some guys, maybe Brandon Smith has that decision to make this year, but have really helped themselves by coming back. And 
between that, between selling yourself as a school, excuse me, a school that has had success with transfers, you've all, all of a sudden you you're finding a way to continue building your roster in the latter half of guys careers, which as you, as you mentioned, especially with offensive linemen, that hasn't always been the case. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, when you look at how dynamic things are with the transfer portal, any way that you could either keep players or, or get players in who are quality players, you know, you have to be able to do it. I mean, you look at the quarterback situation and, and I know everybody says, well, you know, who would you have brought in as a transfer? But that's an area where, you know, they might have been able to use somebody who uh, transferred in and at least had some playing experience. Don't think it would have been a long term answer, but I think overall this coaching staff is doing a very good job handling this whole dynamic new thing that every team is kind of dealing with. I don't think they're overdoing it and I don't think they're underdoing it. And I think guys who should be leaving when they get to that sixth year, uh, again, no offense to the, the minutes and fries, but it was time for them to go. It was time yeah. for them to go try to do what they could do in the NFL. And I think, it was time for Brisker to come back and show what he could do because I think he had the ability to, to prove that he could take it to another level. Same thing with Dodson. So I think overall they're handling all that pretty well. So for so long, Penn State, the, the perception there has been wait your turn. You know, this was a big thing under Joe. Wait your turn. You'll get a chance to play when you're in your third, fourth, fifth, whatever year. Yeah. And that's not college football right now. And and that's not that's not to say it's it, it's not a great thing when it happens. But you look at recruits, what they're looking at. You look at transfers, guys guys that want to get on the field in their first or second year, and you got to be able to sell that. So what I'm saying right now is Penn State's been able to sell transfers. They've been able to get guys on the field early uh, with freshmen, and you're sort of bringing your program, trying to catch up with that space, bringing your program a little bit further, and making it more appealing not only for, for the recruit base that you typically go after, but guys that can come in and play early and also transfers that, that have experience that can come in, be a patch uh, on your roster and still get the exposure that they need. And you look all around and, and we mentioned this on the board at lines 24 seven this week, there was a temple transfer defensive tackle who, you know, went in and, and did not play last year for, as a true freshman with COVID spent an entire year in the strength program, came out and played, I think three or four games for temple this year, had a very productive start to his career, went in the transfer portal. Now all of a sudden you got a chance to, get out there and get a second evaluation on this kid that's from Jersey that you probably missed the first time around. So guys like that are looking for stories like AK stories like Tangelo, even stories, even a story like Johnny Dixon, uh, a guy that's eventually going to be a starter here who played, I think it was a red shirt freshman or, you know, he, he's still, still relatively young in his career. So you've got a chance to sell that as, as James Franklin as Penn state, as we've had a ton of success with everybody, transfers, freshmen, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a flip of what the perception of Penn State nationally has been. Yeah, well, you hear some some coaches complaining about the transfer portal, right? Uh, now, Franklin is on record as saying he prefers not to have transfers, but what have they done? Uh, they've made the most of it. You know, rather than sit there griping about it, it's like, well, let's do what we can do. And again, I, I, I don't know about you, Sean, but I did not expect them to have the success they had out of the portal this year. I just, I, I didn't, I mean, and it, but then these guys come in and it shows you that they, they did a good job of identifying guys who could be productive and also fit in. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you talk to, 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 to AK, you talk to Tangelo and they just seem as if they've been in the program for four or five years already. They've seemed like they've been around. They've been perfect fits. 
Yeah. And that's a chance for, you know, you, you to, I don't want to say make amends for a missed evaluation. Say, I mean, Tangela was on campus as a, as a, you know, as a recruit, John Lovett was on campus as a recruit. Johnny Dixon was on campus as a recruit. Those guys were not guys that they were pushing for in Tangelo's case, didn't even offer um, at that point. So, or at that point in his career. So gives you a chance to, to make amends and bring back guys that, uh, that have, been productive elsewhere, been experienced elsewhere. And I think that's, that's the big thing when you look at uh, Tangelo is his experience is, is showing up. And that's uh, not something again, where you need him to go get the quarterback or anything like that, but his experience is helping everybody around him. And that's really what's helped this defense sort of, sort of from front to back. Yeah. He played in a game at Alabama or against Alabama a couple years ago. So it's not as if he's walking into a situation where he's never played at, at that level. And it, it, and it, it was obvious with both of those guys, with AK and Tangelo, that that the that the stage was not too too big for for either of them, and you know that that really says something to come in. You know, when you look at AK, one thing that people may forget is that he didn't play football until very early. He's uh, originally from Cameroon, you know, uh, where my guy Joel Embiid is from, and did not play football until pretty late in his uh, young athletic career. So, you know, not maybe having a great eval on him or maybe having a great eval and he was just a guy who needed to kind of bring stuff together, you know, once he got to the college level. But both of those guys have, have uh, kind of plugged in and been outstanding additions for him. And you can find guys at, at any level that can play. I mean, we see this with the draft every year. Some of those guys just need a little bit of help um, in terms of what uh, what they can do for exposure. I look at I look at a guy, John Ridgeway, is a defensive tackle at Arkansas, and he was at Illinois State. Penn State actually did offer him um, as a transfer. But he's gone out, and I think he's made himself a bunch of money this year and, and played very well, and that's a that's, – you're not going to get that kind of exposure at Illinois State. So that's really what you're looking for um, from that aspect. You're looking for maybe situations that are falling apart, LSU, Miami, you know, just all over the place. You're going to see a bunch of programs that have this calamity and 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 you have an opportunity there. And that's what that's what Penn State's got to do. They've got to be opportunistic. They got to jump on it. Um, you know, you, you do your evaluations and you don't, you know, sort of waste scholarships early and it's kind of a fine line that you walk because you don't know what's going to come in the portal, but you have a pretty good idea. And I think that's what they did last year for the first time and really made the most of, of their, their foray into the portal. And it's been, it's been really good for them. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I mean, after a difficult year last year, it was kind of surprising that they kept as many guys that they didn't lose more, more people. And, you know, Levis, I think that made sense for him. I mean, I, I don't Absolutely. think he, yeah, I don't think he was leaving because he was in, you know, because the, the program was had a losing record or whatever. And Shelton, it seemed like it was just kind of time for him to, to, to move on. I don't know exactly what was going on there. We probably don't even need to discuss it. But uh, he seems like he's found a happy home. But to go through the season they went through last year and not have even more turnover, yeah, I think there's something to be said for the job the coaching staff did in, in kind of keeping things together and keeping most of your best players, you know, with you. Yeah, that's a culture thing that you can turn to and and, and sort yeah. of figure out how that's working. And um, you know, you you'll see. I, I think you'll see more turnover this year, more attrition this year. But that's just based on the fact that it was ridiculously low last year. As you mentioned, the Levis thing was good. Not a ton of shock transfers or anything like that last year. And and a lot of that came, if you remember, before spring ball, um, yeah. which was you know is not typically how that works. If if Levis. I think th thought he had a chance to, to win that job. He would have stayed for the spring, but obviously he didn't and you move on and Penn state has benefited from it. And now not back up with standing, but uh, Penn state has benefited from it. 
Will Levis has certainly benefited from it. Kentucky's benefited from it. So you can't you can't really say much. I think I think that's a that's a lazy conversation right now is the Levis conversation. So um, we'll stay. I stay think away most people them. are rooting for him, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I they should. Most State fans oh, it's are, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been it's been fun to see. Obviously, you know, they had their hands full last week, but it's been fun to see him do what he's doing. If if you're saying that Will Levis should have stuck it out at Penn State to to be the backup, then you have no concept of what right. college football is today, and I, I can't help you there. So um, we'll see uh, we'll see how that develops for him. We'll see how that develops for Penn State over the second half of the season because you've got Illinois this week, but the the big one on the horizon, Ohio State in two weeks. Um, we'll be back to talk more about the Illinois uh, game with Tyler Donahue. Hopefully, he can get away and get a quiet room, or maybe he'll just fall. We'll just let him take a nap on the side or or something like that uh, later this week. But Continue to check out our coverage uh, online 24-7. We've got James Franklin this afternoon in about an hour. Um, he'll, we'll have him on Wednesday as well. But for Mark Brennan, I'm Sean Fitz. For Tyler Donahue and his growing family, thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll see you later this week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.